This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. And I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going with you? It's going very well. Now, we're recording this on Thursday night. Have you spent the last two days glued to the TV and glued to the, oh my gosh. To the internet? Yes. yes, I have. And it has been so intense. But I really loved a um, little interview I saw with Biden tonight talking about how um, when he takes on that role, it will be um, not as a red president or a blue president, but as the American president. And I just could see the sincerity in those words, and I really liked it, and we need that from America now. So, oh, yes, I have been glued to it. Maybe we could suggest he is a green president. Oh, that would be amazing. Let's do that. See, so, if, we, if he was in New Zealand, we'd just ring him up like we can ring Jacinda. <laughs> but we can't ring him. It's really annoying. <laughs> so who are we introducing today? Today, it is, I'm actually having a fangirl moment, Sam. Today, we have got Marianne Vandenbelt, who is a remarkable human, born in the Netherlands. She is academically trained as an ecological economist, holding a PhD in marine estuarine environmental science from the University of Maryland, um, a master's in business economics from Erasmus University in Rotterdam. She is 28 years of research, teaching, management, enterprising, consultant and community building in different parts of the world, developing all sorts of amazing things for amazing people to do amazing things. And... The more I read about her, the more it blows my mind that somebody so young can have done so many cool things and made such a huge impact. So oh, sorry for the long introduction, but I don't know how to make a shorter version of you. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Mawera. That, that was just a fantastic introduction. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly humbled now. Thanks, Sam, for having me too. Welcome, Marianne. Where are you? I'm in uh, I'm in Wellington, Whanganui Atara. And how was your bubble life? Um, I, I had a actually pretty good bubble life, to be honest. Um, my my daughter was studying in Melbourne, and she she managed to sneak into New Zealand literally forty five minutes before lockdown. So uh, I I had my my girl back home, and uh, yeah, that's been good ever since. Were you working from home? I, I was already working from home, so it wasn't a, a great big change for me. I'm used to working from home. Now, as Mawira described, you've done so many things. I've lost track of what you're doing now. What are you doing now? <laughs> well, um, 
where did we leave off? Um, after, you know, Victoria University at, at, uh, as Assistant Vice-Chancellor of Sustainability, I spent um, a year on the tax working group, um, serving, uh, yeah, thinking about the idea how can taxation system contribute to positive ecological outcomes. So I had the absolute honor and privilege of, of working with uh, Sir Michael Cullen, who was the chair, uh, and really thinking about a, a strategy for environmental taxation, but also, you know, a green tax shift further down in the future. So that was quite exciting. Um, then I went on a three month long walk uh, out in the South Island, which was fantastic. Best thing I've ever done. Uh, and I came back really invigorated uh, and thinking about, okay, I've got a, a chance here. I've got space. Um, what would I do that would be the biggest possible contribution to New Zealand I can think of? And so um, I went back to my passion for the ocean, really connected with that. I went back to um community building and uh and and using the tool of mediated modeling you know model building with people to really understand the complexities of a, of an of a system and how you start creating scenarios on getting to where you want to go and visualizing that and then the other thing was fascinated by the fact that new zealand has uh, no seaweed sector to speak of just yet and yet Everywhere in the world, seaweed is taking off like crazy. Uh, it's projected to be a, I think, $36 million industry in, in the next few years. And here in New Zealand, we don't have a lot. So um, I just thought, wow, what an opportunity to, to co-create and co-design a sector that actually ticks on regenerative principles. Yeah, you could also, I could also see that um, you know, the powers that be and, and the business, um, business as usual has a tendency to drive these, these type of new opportunities in a particular uh, direction for purpose. But what an opportunity, what a, shall I say, a, a blue field to, to see what does it mean to, to do this on, on regenerative purposes, uh, pr principles, because you probably know that seaweed sequesters up to 20 times more carbon than anything green on land. Um, and we've got about a thousand uh, native seaweed species here, largely uh, unexamined for what they could do. Um, and uh, you can make all kinds of products out of it. Yeah, so, so how can we design this not for necessarily only for profit, but for attracting the financial flows that then help us create meaningful jobs, a better ecosystem. And, um, uh, and yeah, that's sort of was became the focus. <laughs> that's a long story. Sorry. So did, did all of this, you, you talked about the, the visualizing the, the, the possibilities and, and then how you achieve it. If you take a step back for how you decided that this is what you wanted to be doing, did it all swim into place for you? Oh, of course not. Um, that's with like with everything. You give it a good go, the door opens, 
yeah, we instigated a, a conversation, had attracted a, a few people who had like like were like-minded and also were, were observing both the potential as well as the hurdles to get there. Uh, we banded together for a while. The government wanted an, uh, a proposal which we put together with the whole team behind it. Um, and then it was, yeah, a bit of a, no, we're not going there. All right, so that was the first cycle. Uh, and uh, and then COVID happened. Um, but the good, good things came out of it. I mean, I had a conversation with Kim Hill, for example, on uh, on radio uh, radio New Zealand, and I mean those we we did get a conversation going. So it, it was definitely an exciting um, uh, an exciting project to work on. And then COVID happened, um, and um, pulled together another team and, and proposed we would do a seaweed certification program, right? Preemptive sort of to help guide this sector. Um, and, uh, but I started to feel that the doors were, or no, the, it, it became a little bit small. Life became a bit small in my bubble, I have to admit. And at that point, um, there was an opportunity to um, apply for uh, the Edmund Hillary Fellowship, which I did. And, um, I was extremely lucky and, and honored to be successful at that and got invited into that fellowship. Uh, and, and that is, that's happening right now, a whole new community of, of big thinkers to, to, who also see these potential and these possibilities. And, and so I'm, I'm in the stage of uh, being a beginner again, having a beginner's mind. Uh, and, and listening for, for which door is going to open next. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have The Miracle from U2. Why this one? Oh, uh, The Miracle. Well, I, I think that is a, uh, a song about finding your voice. And, um, yeah, sort of the uh, acknowledging also the, the, the people that uh, inspire you. So, uh, yeah.
lovely um, hearing you talking about Michael Cullen earlier um, my son Jack and I are really fortunate that uh, to have Michael and Anne in our lives um, they live here uh, in the Eastern Bay of Plenty and um, we actually interviewed Michael not so long ago and he uh, has just finished his book um, and he was talking about the need for changing the way that our economic system works and also that our system of government, that it's time for us to seriously have those conversations about change. Yes. Uh, look, uh, I was so blessed and privileged to to serve under, under his leadership. And it was exactly that. Uh, such a great connection on, on seeing the need for change. I mean, I, I was very open uh, as I caught on to the tax working uh, group that I'm not overly impressed with uh, economic growth for the sake of economic growth. So we really had a, an opportunity and, and I think to the extent possible, he, he would at least support that, uh, that corridor of what does it look like if we're not just focusing on this uh, on this economic growth. So I don't know if it's if anybody noticed, but the word economic growth does not appear in the entire report. It's all uh, uh, sustainable development and well-being. Uh, and, and I think that was one we knocked off on day one. <laughs> we basically um, put the line in the sand there and uh, yeah, it was just fantastic to have someone of that caliber understanding um, the need for change and, and willing to have that conversation. Yeah. And then the extension of that work you guys did 
And then we now hear that when Grant Robertson, when Grant talks about what our future looks like and, and what we need as a nation and what our focus should be, it's about well-being now and and economic growth, which has been the focus of neoliberalism and this whole system that we've been, you know, trying to manage for all these years. That's all falling by the way as we focus on what do we need to be well. And you guys drove that. That's so cool. Oh, look, no, the government actually put us up uh, with a well-being budget, and so kudos to them as well. This was, the tax working group was uh, an, an, um, an extension of that. But yeah, as ecological economists for the last four or so decades, most certainly that has been the, um, uh, a long-standing theme. I, I want to take a bit of a step back, back to seaweed. Yeah. What are you? What are you doing? What am I doing? Yeah, I, I, like I missed. Right I, I missed. I missed the bit about what you're actually doing about seaweed. Um. Look, uh, I'm not quite sure where exactly it will land. So, um, as I said last year, it was all about the entire uh, nation and having a conversation about co-creating this this sector and and. Uh, helping to visualize pathways to to yeah that make sense to government and research and and business and ngos and iwi um and um i still think that needs to happen there needs to be some form of transparency because there's a lot of research happening now i think about 25 million got invested last year in seaweed alone right and yes, there's a, a seaweed strategy being developed, but it's all very um, disjointed in a way, very fragmented. And I really would like the government to provide that leadership from a, a story of success, from a future of success and say, here is, you know, um, seaweed, which is the basic, the foundation in our marine ecosystems on, on you know, providing habitat, uh, helping to regulate the, um, the, the chemistry in the water. Uh, it, it helps with, it, it sequesters a lot of carbon. It's um, at least locally uh, helping uh, with um, ocean acidification and, and adjust the temperature. So there's lots of, of benefits around seaweed. And in order to help pay for that, we obviously need more. And there's a lot of interesting products that can come from it as well. Now, a lot of attention has been going to, of course, asparagopsis, if you feed it to cows or at least, you know, parts, parts of it, extractions from it, they um, expel less methane. That's one thing. You can also use it, of course, in uh, soil amendments, you can make plastic out of it. You, you can you can eat it. Um, there's so much possible uh, around seaweed that we could could explore. So what do I do at this point? Um, I think it's about uh, possibilities, creating possibilities from a systems perspective that allow people to learn in an inclusive way not just one company and especially not just foreign direct investment taking the over this space and investing in cultivating say uh, an invasive species like ondaria but really looking at what can we do natively how can communities engage what kind of 
um, what kind of knowledge would they have? How do we help that? How do we, you know, help people harvest in from estuaries where there is too much seaweed right now because of all the uh, the nutrients uh, runoff and and you know these these estuaries get you know almost anoxic soups. How do we take some of that out so the estuary can breed, remediate that, and then do something useful with that seaweed? Um, maybe a, uh, a transportable biorefinery, you know, that can go from community to community to scoop up the, uh, uh, the, uh, the seaweed and make something useful out of it. Now, in order to do that, not every, every community would need its own uh, biorefinery, but, you know, you will need some form of collaboration. And for, to do that, you need to see the whole picture and see what people need to know um, and what those markets would look like. And, you know, those are those are completely different networks. And how do we bring those together? How do we make that visible? I mean, through last year, I had so many, especially young people, um, reaching out and say, I'm so inspired by the movie 2040, right? With marine uh, permaculture or drawdown or, I want to do something with this. And, and the most amazing ideas are coming up. So instead of everybody inventing that wheel themselves, can we facilitate that? What can we do? What would a national incubator on, on something like this look like? You know, what is the whole raft of products that we need to think about to create the, 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 the value proposition and the financial flows that then not make a few individuals rich, but actually give us the resources to invest in the uh, restoration of those ecosystems, uh, invest in communities. And so, yeah, that's what I'm... And of course, that's difficult and complex. And <laughs> I by no means have the answers, but it is uh, a story that I think needs to be investigated Um with transparency and with a lot of opportunity across the board. You talked about helping visualise pathways and that people have lots of ideas. Mawira is doing work on how to ensure that people and communities have that, that capacity for imagination. Is there a trick or, or how do you set the seeds of, of getting those those good ideas to come forth? Tricks. Uh, yeah, I don't think people like tricks or being tricked. Um, I think it's all about integrity uh, and it's all about connecting and making connections on that joint, um, that joint vision and then having a... Um, an openness and a confidence and a, a sense of feeling safe of working through the issues because you are notoriously are going to run into hurdles and uh, and things that don't quite work. And yeah, so I think that if anything, that's the main trick. <laughs> <laughs> it's providing that space really. And then for me in my world, it's about, um, uh, I've gone through a few of those processes where I use mediated modeling and it's just my go-to tool and there's lots of other ways to, to do this, of course. But I by now know the, the milestones of what we need to see 
um, in order for a process like this to, to progress. So yeah, there's many ways to, um, to do this, um, all the way from just talking to, uh, to, to predictive modeling, um, which I don't like personally. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm aiming for a, 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 a merger of that, a mix of talking about the system and capturing that underlying structure that um, yeah, leads to uh, either feared or preferred scenarios. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi aroha nui, kia koutou, ko taho ho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstar, your beloved verses. And I really hope that wherever you are, whatever is happening around this journey, that we're all in together, is proving to be very sustained and illuminating you in each day. Who you are, the nature, the perfect, and making better. Thank you. So I know that for all of us, we've been through this huge journey together, and here we are in the midst of so many shifts. Each day on a personal level within our own internal universes, our immediate external universes, our national ecosystem, and then of course our global ecosystem. So it's a really fascinating time to be alive. And I feel so grateful to be alive and to be free again together now. And of course we are always free, but this time for us here in Aotearoa Stunedin and indeed in the beautiful Aotearoa New Zealand, we are free to frolic about. And something that I've been really, really enjoying is being able to be a mermaid again and going and swimming in the sea and connecting with the sea. And I love the sea best of all. I love everything. I love all life, but I love the sea before. And I think that we're so lucky here in Aotearoa New Zealand that we're surrounded by so much sea, that the sea is so clean and, and beautiful. And having grown up in the UK, where there were floating nappies and syringes and many other treasures to be discovered, we went to the beach. I'm just so grateful for the space and the peace that is here with the sea. And when I was a wee girl, I was in a play. Uh, my mother was a pirate by Margaret Mayhew and there's the song of the sea and it says walk to the edge of the green grove over the seashells and all read the tale on silver's grove of foam where the waters begin hear from a voice that's far and free the mysterious voice of sea I am the song of the sea I am a scion I am the voice from the magical dead where the ocean looks over from land so I really love that song and I always sing that song to the sea whenever I go and I put my feet in the water then I sing that song and I might just sing it in my heart, in my mind, I might just sing it very quietly, I might sing it quite loudly, but for me it is a very sacred connection and it is a sacred ritual being able to connect with sea and all water as we know is so helpful in terms of washing away and releasing stress any worries and of course we know that most of our cells in our body most of our body most of our planet is water 
and that this water is recycled over and over again. And I was very excited to hear from Sam that he's interviewing an amazing lady working with seaweed. And of course, not only is there water, but there's all of the people of the water, all the tini or tagaroa, all the children of tangaroa, atua of the sea, and the beautiful seaweeds, beautiful sea creatures. I loved working with them at the aquarium. And, you know, there are so many beautiful seaweeds in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that we can eat. And particularly my favourite is macrocystis, which is the bladder kelp. Uh, and you can, you can collect it and wash it and dry it and it goes dark green from the beautiful brown. And you chop it up and fry it with sesame oil and sesame seeds and it puffs up like prawn crackers it's amazing and then there's also obviously rimurapa which is the bull kelp which obviously traditionally has been to make poha the kelp bags cook cockles and uh, preserve titi the mutton bird but you can also you can cook whatever you want in it and it's absolutely delicious so i would really recommend that as well but yes i really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you you're having the opportunity to really connect in a way that nourishes and supports you with the this beautiful world that we find ourselves in and i'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much Kakiti. you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with marion vandenbelt there is so much i mean this is a book i wrote 20 years ago literally <laughs> so in the meantime a lot has changed and and now i'm in this this community of uh of edmund hillary fellows and they're all very tech oriented and so what is possible with this new technology, with lots of different new technologies in service of um, these type of processes, you know, from, from very small scale to, to regions, to nations, to, to the globe. It's going to be fascinating. I don't have all the answers and I don't know where it's going to be, uh, where I'm personally going to be landing. In the past, I've worked uh, across the entire spectrum, all the way from local community to, you know, the intergovernmental platform for biodiversity and ecosystem services um, and, and a lot of things in between. Um, so where, where I end up now, I don't know. And that is the beauty of, of this period in my life, I think. You talked about needing money to do the development, but you also talked about people, or at least a single person, not getting rich. Mm-hmm. And that's quite a different model to how to approach these sorts of things, particularly if you're trying to get money out of somebody to invest in it. Do people buy the the argument or into the, the belief of the, the social enterprise and then you make an extra twist on that because you make it a social ecological enterprise? Um, well, that remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, I, I do, you know, having conversations globally, uh, I do see people that are like angel investors that, that want to see these type of in- initiatives going. And then, of course, you've got the next step, the, the impact investor who wants a little bit more concreteness around it. And, you know, when when the whole um, endeavor is is up and going, then you have the regular investors coming coming through. So uh, to me, it's, it's, um, it's about finding the right people uh, who really want to see that purpose. So there's a whole new generation of, of businesses emerging, a better business, business for purpose, purpose businesses um, that, that tick, I think, slightly different. Um, I'm, I imagine it's a lot easier when you're out talking to communities, to iwi or whatever they might be, when you're there talking about those two things coming together. Uh, uh, uh. Oh. Yes, and it might be enough. Uh, it, it might be that that is the model that has uh, grown 
homegrown with iwi and i think that is the beauty of new zealand where that indeed is uh, is an option uh, increasingly so and, and let's support that uh, and make uh, build a new model prove that it works and uh, and then maybe the rest comes in I, i'm slightly agnostic to um exactly how it works and 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 i would like to hold on to um, the vision that it could work for now until proven wrong I just feel better that way. <laughs> We've seen lots of societal level changes over the last few months. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Well, give me a menu. What what societal changes are you thinking about, Sam? I'm thinking of everything from the fact that we all got to slow down through uh, the how the government has responded and engaged us, the... Um, the fact that we've had the economy and the the health of the people being shown to be a, a connected system yeah all of that i mean how exciting that we live in new zealand where that type of leadership has been provided um prime minister adern has created a team of five million um and yeah, the the uh, the opportunities are obviously endless to to turn this this restart re recovery uh, into a green direction if they can see it and and that i think it is where where the the jury is still out if we're going to do this by you know investing in more and more roads um, and, and asphalt and uh, which will track the need for more and more cars we're in the wrong track and there's so much other things we can do if we can invest in green infrastructure and really think about how we do this type of business differently if we really can help transition say the dairy sector into something that has a you know a less impact on uh, on the waterways if we can restore um, or stop draining at least the uh, the wetlands 90% of wetlands in New Zealand are drained i mean those are those are the kidneys of your ecosystem uh, uh, a person can't live on on less than 10% of, of of kidney function and so what makes us think that our ecosystem on which we depend can do that so to me, that is the natural capital that um, uh, we uh, we need to start investing in and create meaningful jobs around with you know, when it comes to food and all kinds of products. Have you got an alternative term? We've heard shovel ready quite a lot for the the infrastructure that the capital physical capital projects. Have you got an equivalent way of describing the the natural capital, the social capital? projects in a way that's as as catchy as the shovel ready oh that's a really good question i'll i will definitely mull that one over um the word regeneration and regenerative is a, is a good term right now that's going through a bit of a renaissance and the beauty of it is that it elicits a lot of conversation um because some people will say oh, we're all, we've been doing that for decades this new word what does it mean and other people say no we haven't we haven't really thought about doing business in a different way for the purpose of regenerate um and so to me the word regeneration you know beyond sustainability is is a good one to explore anything that's more life enhancing let's talk about how these systems this company this policy is indeed life enhancing life enhancing ready projects yeah driving ready projects there must be something in there there must be 
What lessons do you think we can take from how we've responded to the pandemic for those longer term questions, the, perhaps the wicked ones, the intergenerational ones, climate change, biodiversity collapse, any of those sorts of things? They don't have the advantage of being able to say these, these things are going to start next Tuesday. No, exactly. And that is, I think, the gap that we're, we're seeing, Sam. Uh, COVID was an opportunity to really go back to basics, think this through. And so restarting it based on the old principles is was never going to cut it. Uh, and you see some green, greenish initiatives coming online, some hopelessly misinformed um, and some a, a little bit better. And and I, I just think that the the lack of having um, that longer term vision really ready and, and have a readiness for actual projects that could fill those steps. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do with this uh, regenerative seaweed project to see, okay, from vision, if this is what we look, or if this is what good looks like, and we backcast and what did we need in order to get there? You then have a whole menu of things to choose from when something as dramatic as COVID happens and you suddenly are forced to, to, to direct people in a different way and it is going to cost you money, then at least you have those big pieces uh, ready that might not be affordable you know, on a day-to-day basis from a marginal perspective, marginal proof perspective. But that's when you need to be ready with that leap change. And we simply weren't ready. We didn't have that, you know, that plan. We've certainly shown that we can do stuff when we put our minds to it. Um, yeah. And I, I still also hope that we can uh, look a little bit further down the line and not just what's right in front of us, because we will keep making the same mistakes if, if we're doing this with the same minds that cause these issues. Um, we're going to keep making the same mistakes. So, so what can we do differently this time? So you're not seeing it as a return to business as usual? There's an opportunity to do something different? Uh, it is an opportunity and it doesn't mean I'm, I'm not... I mean, I do think there's a lot of business as usual um, th- that we see right now. Is that there are some uh, hopeful signs and hopeful conversations. But frankly, I don't think that this COVID, um, the current COVID situation has been bad enough just yet to really, really drill down the um, hit home that, that things are changing and we need a fundamentally different model. So... You know, I think in the next iteration, we're going to really talk about a universal basic income and uh, and starting to apply people's uh, skills and experience for, uh, you know, uh, dare I say, a common good. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and, and learn from those experiences as well. Let's take Maisie Rika, uh, Tangaroa, Fokka Maltai. Why this one? Oh, I, that's a... A logical one. If uh, if you're talking about seaweed and you have a passion for the ocean, so yeah, this is the song where when nobody is 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 watching, uh, I dance and I pretend to be seaweed. <laughs> so you should try it. Close your eyes and pretend to be seaweed on this song. <laughs> Papa Uruguay, te hará la botana roa. 
I do have to confess that when we were watching My Octopus Teacher, I was quite interested in the seaweed. Oh, yeah. That was a great movie, by the way. And, uh, and yeah, the seaweed is amazing. Do you get to, I mean, you swim a lot, Sam. So I do. Do you, uh, do you um, uh, go underwater and, and snorkel a bit? And, and, and uh, not very much. My ears don't stand it very well. We had to do diving training for our botany degrees, uh, for seaweed, in fact. 
Mm. Um, there was a, a seaweed paper in second year, um, so we had to all get do our diving training for that. So, but my ears really didn't like it. So I'm happy yeah. staying on the top and looking down. Yeah. yeah. I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? I think keep, keeping an open mind and, and being flexible and really going through uh, new doors as they open up and celebrate every step along the way and recreating as, as, as doors close. Uh, there's always a new door opening. So I think it's the state of being that I count as my, my biggest success right now. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in the team. What is the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Uh, connecting for possibilities. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, an ideator, a pathfinder. Um, again, if one door closes, then another door opens. And, and I think the more you can inspire people to be in that space, the more we together will achieve. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Well, um, then I always go back to Buckminster Fuller. Uh, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. Change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. So in that sense, I am an activist because I'm working on building new models that make the current one obsolete. That was a well-rehearsed answer. You said that before. Yes, that is, that is one. I love Buckminster Fuller, I must say. We need systems, to get other... think, systems think are extraordinary. We need to get other people to buy into those models, though. Yeah, but that's where the work comes from. Look, if it was easy, um, then I guess it would have already been done. But And that is this is the point, Sam. You have to visualize these feedback loops. And, and you have to visualize what that could possibly look like. And if we're not investing in that capacity, in that adaptive capacity, in that visualization and understanding capacity, then we're just going to keep doing things the same old way. Little kids know how to do it. Yeah. Little kids have imagination. Yes. And what happened to us? Why, why do schools sort of take it out of them? Sorry. Oops. <laughs> no, we have to be. We, that, that is true. And, and um, uh, I think hopefully we'll see a little bit of a renaissance in that as well. Um, I'm also on the Council of Lincoln University at the moment. And um, that's, that's a really interesting uh, organization thinking long and hard about pa partnerships and, and how to do that in universities and with different, um, uh, different organizations. So um, I honestly hope that they'll succeed in that. And uh, yeah. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, nature. I look outside and I think, gosh, we're living in a beautiful place. Um, the concept of healing people, healing nature, that we feel better if, if nature thrives and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, that's my inspiration. and gets me up. Breathing. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, really, this regenerative seaweed and, and thinking about a, a fundamentally new sector on regenerative principles uh, in whatever way that now comes. And that can be um, a, a specific company that we're, we're, we might be thinking about and, and doing it on that purpose, in that purpose uh, driven way. Or it could be holding more of the space for that larger conversation. I'm not quite sure yet. I mean, I'm, as I said, I'm keeping an open mind because. The people I'm currently meeting are so fascinating. 
And so I don't have to do all these things myself. My superpower in that sense is uh, combining uh, these, these technologies, these people into something new and, and run with it. When you and I have talked about sustainability previously, we've both agreed that our model of sustainability is one which is regenerative. Are you now think, and you and I, I think, have 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 clung to the sustainability word, knowing that for us it's regenerative. But now this regenerative word is getting a life on its own. Do you think we should be accepting that that sustainability is being used to describe a, a more of a stable state, and we need to do more than that? Oh, when the opportunity uh, arises, it really depends on whom, whom you're talking to. Um, of course, sustainability in the end is as multifaceted and, and life-enhancing uh, in its essence. But if that is not the conversation right now, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit over trying to bang my head against the wall. It hurts a bit. Uh, and and <laughs> in that sense, uh, a new word is quite refreshing because you can have slightly different conversations. In the end, the goal is still to create a sustainable existence of people within their ecosystems and, and the dependence on it. So it doesn't really change anything. It's just it elicits quite uh, slightly different conversations right now. And so, lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, yeah, it came up before. Uh, be like water, fluid. I, I listened to um, someone over the weekend, uh, Māori uh, woman, Wahina, Hina, and she, she was talking about water. And, and I could so see that image of, you know, a cloud uh, where it's the momentum is gathering and all these molecules kind of start to congregate together and suddenly it becomes rain and then it becomes either a fast-flowing river or a stagnant little pond or it goes all the way to sea and evaporates again. So that's how I see uh, ideas and projects and, uh, and, and life-enhancing metaphor at the moment. So, yeah, be like water. I'm being like water. Mawera. I just want to acknowledge that imagination is, a, is is increasingly an issue, but here you are, an amazing woman who has got the ability to imagine solutions and imagine alternative ways of being. And not only do you have the ability to do that, you also are able to share that with others and have them have that same experience and, and make real actions happen that actually make a difference and so many people wish they could make a difference and you really are and that's so awesome and thank you for all that you do and don't ever stop doing it oh thank you it's um that is that is truly humbling sometimes it feels exactly like that when you're in the flow and sometimes it's just yeah grinding but um it's it's always there's always life in it and that's that i think is beautiful and there's always other people to connect with who have a similar experience so thank you for hosting this uh, and thank you for having me and thank you for for having these ongoing conversations sam and mawera thank you very much for that we're going out to king curtis and memphis soul today's special is memphis soul stew we sell so much of this people wonder what we put in it we're going to tell you right now. Give me about a half a teacup of bass. 
Now I need a pound of fat back drums. Now give me four tablespoons of ballin' Memphis guitars. This gonna taste all right. Now just a little pinch of organ. Half a pint of horn. Place on the burner and bring to a boil. That's it, that's it, that's it right there. Now beat. Listening to blowing bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three, and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu Mackenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Wellington, Marion Vandenbelt. We hope you enjoyed the show. Bye, night, and we wumble by day. Look-
looking for litter to trundle away. We're so This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.